0: Thank you for leading us in worship this morning, as always. And Thelma and Jewel, so good to have you back, Jewel. Thank you for not sharing your sickness with us last week. And she says, please don't shake her hand this week. She's uh, not completely out of the woods. So we're going to keep praying for you, and hopefully you get feeling completely 100% better. If you have your Bible or something that opens the Bible, iPod, iPhone, whatever, open it up to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6. I have this attitude I deal with sometimes. I don't know if anybody else is like me. I wonder, wonder if you are. Sometimes I begin a project or I begin something new. And at first, I'm really, I'm like gung-ho. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to get out there and, and get after it. But after a little bit of time, that gung-ho-ness, that's not really a word, wears off. And before you know it, I'm not really that excited about it. And I'm just kind of like, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of lost its, its glamour and appeal to me. One person put it like this, the worst enemy of enthusiasm is time. Human beings have a remarkable and sad capacity for getting tired of, wo- of wonderful things. Everyone, or almost everyone I, I know of, can think of something that they were at one time enthusiastic about, but now that joy or enthusiasm has faded. Sometimes we go on a trip, Every, every year, we try to go on some kind of a family trip, uh, and we see something new, some beautiful new scenery. Perhaps you are like me, and you're like, wow, that's so beautiful, so breathtaking. But over time, what happens? Vacationers say, I just want to get back home. They get tired of that new and beautiful and different scenery. Every Christmas, we watch children open brand new gifts, spending hundreds of dollars on toys. Only after a little bit of time, though, they get tired of that new toy. It's lost its glamour and appeal. Perhaps you remember when your children were real young and they played with the box and not the toy. We suffer with this. Uh, We grow tired of toys. We grow tired of scenery. Uh, Millionaires get tired of money. Sometimes spouses get tired of their spouse. The thrill is gone, as B.B. King once sang. Ultimately, the condition of the human heart is one of this, the grass is greener over there. And this mindset, unfortunately, finds its way into Christianity. Do you remember when you were first saved? Do you remember that moment, that testimony of when you confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord? What was it like? Were you set on fire? Were you set on some sort of enthusiastic uh, spiritual adventure? You wanted to tell the world about Jesus. You were set on fire. You were willing to serve and volunteer in whatever capacity the church needed you. But unfortunately, time is an enemy. And that enthusiasm and that joy ceases. The excitement fades and the emotions that once drove us to live for Jesus get affected and changed. Christians grow weary of doing good. Because there's no longer a ministry but unfortunately becomes a job or a chore. This morning my hope is that God's Word will convict us and inspire us to not grow weary in doing good, but instead we need to ask ourselves this question, what are we producing? As so We continue this series of don't give up. The question I ask this morning is don't give up, what are you producing? What are you producing? To do something. And the underlying rule of this scripture we're going to read this morning in Galatians chapter 6 is this, you produce precisely what you plant. And so not only am I asking the question, what are you producing, what are you planting? In a little bit I'll ask another question, what are you allowing to be planted? Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, let's read our scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us go, do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pause a moment for prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the impact I know and I believe that you can have on our lives. Lord, if we will listen to your word and we'll listen to your Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning. Lord, I I pause for this moment of prayer one last time because I, I believe and I understand it is not what I am saying. It is what you are saying to us through your word. And Lord, I pray you would get me out of the way. Father, that you would have us to hear and to respond to you this morning. We need your influence, your impact on our life, and your word. So please, as we just sang, Lord, Holy Spirit, Breathe on me. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to give you four principles from this scripture this morning about producing and planting. Four principles. As I do it, I'm, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take off my jacket. I am just, I'm already burning up. I don't know if it's because I'm excited or maybe I'm running a fever. But I put a lot of hands. My first principle is this. My first principle is God wants to produce good. God wants to produce good, and ultimately what I want to say is this, God wants to produce good in us and through us. Now there's a variety of ways, Paul starts that the writer of Galatians starts off by saying, let him who is taught the word. God has a variety of ways that he teaches us his word. Through the Holy Spirit, God promises us that through the Holy Spirit he will reveal his truths and remind us of his teachings. Here, though, I believe Paul is talking about the pastor-teacher, the one who is gifted and been given the responsibility and the duty of teaching the body of believers. So what does it mean that we are to share in all good things with Him who teaches? Now, through the years, I've heard this scripture preached, and you probably have too, and applied in this way. It has to do with tithes and offerings. It has to do with tithes and offerings. And I want to just... I wanted to brag for a few seconds this morning, here at, here at our church we have really been blessed this year with your tithes and offerings. And I put this on Facebook and I told you I would share it again this week, uh, you know through your giving and our leadership's good stewardship of, of budget spending, our church stayed in the black on the 2017 ledger, that's, that's a rarity sometimes, especially in smaller churches And then when you think about the fact we replaced an air conditioner unit and we replaced and and redid all the heating in the sanctuary, maybe that's why I'm so hot this morning, I'm not sure, we did all of that. We also uh, paid off our our, our building loan we took out to do some much needed repairs on the outside of the building. I don't know if you remember that, back in August of 2016 and we've already paid that off, praise the Lord for that. And then, uh, and, then, and then a couple of folks gave a gift for renting vans for our youth trip to Hot Hearts. Just a, another financial blessing. And, and so, you know, is this what Paul meant when he said, you need to share in all good things with Him who teaches? Well, I think that's certainly a, a, a good application, and I could expound on that, but I, that's not where I really wanted to go this morning, uh, not sc- exclusively. I, I don't think that's the only application. When I consider this phrase, share in all good things, I consider the context of what Paul had just been teaching in chapter 5. And what he had been teaching in chapter 5 was what a Spirit-filled life, a life being led by the Spirit looks like. And what it looks like is, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, that list. Share in the good things, the good things of the Spirit. Share in these good things. This good can also be applied to the ministry of the church. Somehow, the church already at this point, I believe, had adopted this mindset that the ministry of the church is the sole duty of a select few, specifically those hired and paid staff members. But this is not the case. The ministry of the church is part of that good that we need to be sharing with those in leadership. How mighty and powerful would the ministry of our church be if more Christians would accept the call that they are indeed the ministers of the gospel. Listen, I'm not the only minister of the gospel in the church this morning. If you are a born-again believer, you are called into ministry, some kind of ministry. If nothing else, to work at your job as unto the Lord so that people will say there's something different about you. And that's how you can be a minister of the gospel. But then certainly serving within the church as well. And so I would perhaps say God intended for all this to be included in the sharing of good works, tithing, ministry, the fruits of the Spirit. And I would sum it up like this God wants to work good in us and through us. And this is why He gives us so much opportunity to learn from Him, to learn about Him. This is why He plants so much and gives us an opportunity to sow, so much, so that we will produce something good. My second principle is this. We need to take care of what we plant. God wants to produce something good in us, but we need to take care of what we plant. And this is kind of the direction I'm going this morning and, and tomorrow, uh, next week as well, is we've got some personal responsibility here. And I'll, I'll touch on that more in just a second. We have some personal responsibility here. You see, if you produce what you plant, And we need to take care, we need to take caution of what is planted in our lives. The scripture says, you reap what you sow. So it's like this, plant good and you will produce good. Now Paul, the writer of Galatians, was speaking to a farming community, an agricultural community. So they would have understood this. You reap what you sow. Whatever you put into the ground is what is going to grow out of the ground. And and, and so gardening... We do enough gardening around here. I think most of us get this. I don't need to translate this illustration for you. It's not like you're like, what does it mean to sow? What does it mean to plant? I don't even know anything. I think a lot of you garden, and so you understand this. And isn't gardening interesting? I mean, we put a little seed in the ground. We give it some water, maybe some fertilizer. We pray for rain. If it doesn't rain, we water it. And over a period of time, a plant starts growing. And then hopefully, prayerfully, some fruit will come from that plant. Plant. Gardening is just really interesting. And the thing is, is if I plant tomato seeds, what will I produce? Hopefully tomatoes, right? Not okra, right? If I put butter beans, right, or sweet cream peas or something like that into the ground, what's going to grow? Whatever it is that I plant. Not tomatoes, not cucumbers or anything like that. We get what it is that we plant. And so we need to take care to plant good seed. What does it mean, good seed? Well, good seed literally could be anything. We can't set necessarily parameters on this is good seed and this and this alone is good seed. It could be tithing. You know, the, the folks who gave the money for those vans, let me just, since that's a recent example, you don't know what the impact of that could be years down the road. We just don't know. That could be a good seed planted into the soil of our students and it takes root years down the road and someone will wake up one day and say, man, I forgot about somebody gave money for Vans so we could take just a few cars instead of having to take seven, you know. Or it could be teaching Sunday school. It could be decorating our sanctuary and our buildings. Or it could be outside the walls. There's just no way of knowing. It could simply be loving one another as Christ loved us. That may be the good seed that you need to plant in your life. And so it's not defined by certain parameters of what the good seed is, except for this. The parameter is this, is that it is of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It is of God. That is the one who defines good seed. You know what else I've noticed about gardening? There are these things in there that grow that I did not plant. You know what I'm talking about? Weeds. Man, I don't know about you, but there are weeds that grow in my garden. And and you know what, my temptation is just to ignore them. Well, they'll go away eventually, right? Yeah, after the garden is dead. And uh, uh, no, even then they keep, it's amazing how weeds just kind of grow. Just they show up out out of nowhere. And I did not plant a weed seed. And I don't think any of you snuck into my garden in the middle of the night and planted weed seed. Maybe you did. But nevertheless, they got planted there by birds, by ants, by the wind, by that stinking mole that keeps digging up all over my yard, or moles, I'm not sure how many there are. There, There are a variety of things that carry that weed seed into the garden and cause it to grow. And so... I must take caution of what is growing because the works of the flesh will grow even when we think that we are just sitting still. That's, that's like, just like those weeds I didn't plant. If I don't pay attention and take caution, take care of what is growing, what is planted in my garden, just like that in my life, I have to take care of what is growing, what is being planted into my life. And so we had the difficult work. The tedious work of making sure we sow the right thing, and also that we prevent in every possible way the growth of bad seed in our lives. We take care. We are called into that responsibility. And so we have the question of not only what are we planting, but also what are we allowing to grow in our lives? And so perhaps the point should be take caution of what has been planted. But what is growing that you didn't necessarily plant? Maybe... Disdain for somebody because somebody else has disdain for them. Maybe unforgiveness for some wrong that someone did against one of your friends, right? Or against you, the tendency to gossip. You just want to belong to the group and the group is gossiping, so you just join in and start gossiping too. How about a short glance at a website that accidentally popped up on our, uh, on our internet screen, but we didn't quickly close it. We just kind of, ah, it won't hurt, I'll just take a quick little look. We have to be proactive in the gardening of our lives and pull out those weeds. Sounds simple enough, right? Plant good seed and you will reap good produce. But the scripture goes on with a warning. And this is why we must take care of what we sow. This is why we must take care of what is planted in our lives, of what is growing. If we sow the flesh, it says, we will reap, we will produce corruption. And that word there is sometimes translated destruction. And it can also be translated to mean disintegration. It will be completely ruined. Sow the flesh and you will reap destruction or corruption. And I want you to notice what else is different about this protus. Look carefully at verse 8 with me. And, and let's read that just together real quick. Don't read it out loud because we all have different probably versions. But here it says, For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. For simplicity, let's just call sowing to the flesh what it is, sin. So when I sow to my flesh, that is sin, where does it say that I reap this corruption? From God? It says from my flesh. I reap corruption When I sow to my flesh and that corruption comes from my flesh. My flesh reaps what it sows. And so this is key in understanding this concept of sowing and reaping. The destruction that my sin causes in my life is birthed out of my own life. Sin begets sin. And you know, this is how Satan works. You know, he's a lot of things. He's sneaky, he's conniving, he's a liar, he's hateful, he's destructive, but he's not stupid. He is smart. And he's smart because he just sows a little seed here and there to try to get it to grow. You see, if Satan came to me and said, "Hey Brian, I want to destroy your life. Brian, I want to ruin your marriage. Brian, I want to break up your family. Brian, Brian, I want to ruin the testimony of what Christ has done in you. Brian, I want to destroy any ministry that God has done in you." You know what I would say? What would you say? Get out of here, right? We would say that. But instead, what Satan does is he comes in and says, just have a little look. It won't hurt. Just do a little bit of this. Nobody has to know. Just have a little fun. You deserve it. You've been good all your life. And he sows those little seeds into our life, and before we know it, we are reaping the produce of what has been planted in our life. Sin destroys. It always has. And God is not mocked, He is not fooled by our sinful inside life and spiritual outside life. He knows what we are doing, what our motivations are, He knows what we are up to. We cannot sow the life of living however we want to Monday through Saturday and then show up for church on Sunday and think that we're going to reap some sort of spiritual life. Sin reaps destruction. And this may be a literal physical destruction as we pay the consequence for sinful choices, or it may be speaking of a spiritual destruction because there has never been a relationship with God by faith through the grace of Jesus Christ, and that's why we allow our flesh to sow what it wants to sow and reap what it wants to reap. What this does also is it negates the silver bullet mindset, the the magical pill that you can take And then one day, suddenly, wake up and you're thinking like, looking like, acting like Jesus Christ. But it is sowing of the seeds of the Spirit in faithfulness to God. And from that, we reap this profound presence of spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. But sowing to the Spirit, he says, reaps everlasting life. And this isn't saying that good works produces everlasting life but it is proof that instead there has been a spiritual rebirth in us. Matthew Henry's commentary states it like this, but those who under the guidance and influences of the Holy Spirit live a life of faith in Christ, they abound in Christian graces, and they shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And isn't this just like God? He takes something very insignificant, and when it is sown in Him... In faithfulness, he reaps something magnificent of it. That's that's exactly what God does. Think of it like this. You know what an acorn is, right? You got a picture of an acorn? Go ahead. Keep on going, Ethan. Keep on going. One more. There's an acorn. In case you don't know what an acorn looks like, right? An acorn. And if you plant that acorn to the ground and nurture it, and water it, and and, and over time, what does it produce? What comes from an acorn? Before he shows the picture, what comes from an acorn? Anybody? An oak tree. The mighty oak. The mighty, one of the mightiest and strongest trees there are. If you want to build furniture that's going to last for a long time, what do you build it out of? Oak. Oak. The mighty oak. You know what God says? In Isaiah chapter 61-3, three, three. go ahead and show it up there, son. He wants to produce us to be oaks of righteousness. And so he takes something insignificant like me, and if I will sow myself into him, he will produce something magnificent out of it. And that's what God does. I mean, that's, that's the miraculous working of God in our lives, is taking something, something so simple, and doing something so profound with it. My third principle, ooh, I've got to move quickly. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. He says, therefore, do not grow weary. Do not grow tired or weary. Two weeks ago, our statement was, don't give up because God is still working on you. And We talked about how God is carrying us on into completion. It was all about God. It was all about God working in us and through us and, us and us submitting to Him working in us and through us. But a major three theme that I'm trying to emphasize this morning and I'm going to emphasize next week is our own personal responsibility. You see, I believe that for me to get or to go where God wants me to go, it takes all of Him and all of me. It's not like I can say, well, that failed, I guess that's on you, God. God doesn't fail. God does exactly what God wants to do. God has always had this theme throughout the Bible, throughout history, is an expectancy of human effort. Did he really need Moses to go to Egypt to free the Israelites from Egyptian control? No, but he required it. Did he really need the Israelites to march around Jericho for those walls to fall down? No, but he required it. Did David really have to go pick out five stones from the riverbed to sling at O Goliath's head to knock him out, to kill him? No, but that's what God directed David to do. God has always wanted, God has always wanted human effort to work in us. And it is not the ability of the willing servant, but the willingness of the servant to trust a very enabling God. I've said it like this sometimes, God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. He does. And the weight of this entire verse 9 is on you and it is on me. Let us not grow weary. Why? Because in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. I like the Christian Standard Bible translation. This is a new translation that Lifeway has put out. Here's how it translates this verse. It says, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Don't give up. You and I must remain in this walk with Christ and of Christ until due time. That's what Paul says, until due time. And the thing about gardening is this. You never know exactly when that sucker's going to produce. You know, for instance, it's about to be potato season, right? We're all going to plant our potatoes right around Valentine's Day, somewhere in there. And some of you will start saying, well, are your potatoes done? And I'll say, no, I don't know what's going on. Every year it's like this. Somebody's potatoes produce a little bit differently in time for mine or, or mine are earlier or earlier or whatever it is. But here's the thing is if I lost heart and I gave up on those potatoes and I just killed them up, what would happen? I would lose out on the reaping of a wonderful harvest of some red potatoes. Don't lose heart because in due time, that is God's time. And two weeks ago we said this about God's timing. He's never late. He's never early. He is always on time. And I don't want to miss out on the fruit of my labor and His labor in me. We have to wait on the due season, which is defined by God. So what is Paul urging us to not grow weary of? Well, we could define this a lot of ways. Don't grow weary of sowing good to the Spirit. Don't grow weary of taking care of what is planted in your life. Don't grow weary in waiting for reaping the fruit of the Spirit. Don't grow weary of doing good, even when everyone else around you is doing bad and it seems like they're reaping something good in their life. And you're like, maybe I should do what they're doing because, man, they got a new pickup truck and they're not doing anything of the Spirit, right? That was kind of a long one. Do not grow weary because in due season, that is his season, he will reap. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. And listen, I have a lot more I wanted to share with you on this theme of not growing weary. In fact, I got two pages that I I said I'm not going to have time to get to that, including some application of what causes us to grow weary and so on. Let me just sum it up like this. There is a lot of similarity between our physical endurance and our spiritual endurance our physical weariness and our spiritual weariness. When someone complains of being physically weary and they go to the doctor and they say, Doc, I'm just weary all the time. I've got no physical endurance. You know what the first question a good doctor will ask is? What's your diet like? Tell me what you're eating. They want to know if you are getting a healthy, whole, balanced diet. Likewise... Our spiritual weariness, our spiritual endurance is determined by our spiritual eating. Remember, there's no silver bullet. There's no special magic pill that you can take to produce good spiritual fruit. To not grow weary, to not grow spiritually weary, we need a properly balanced spiritual diet, if you will. You know where I'm going this, right? Where do we get this diet, this spiritual diet? Prayer. Reading God's word, prayer, and reading God's word. I love that song we sang. Just a closer walk with Him. How does it end? Daily, walking. Well, how close to Thee? Thank you. I, I knew it. I just wanted to see if anybody else did right. Well, we sing it a lot. Daily walking close to Thee. Daily, daily. You know, the average human being is up around 10 to 12 hours. I say average because some get a lot more sleep than I do and some stay up a lot longer than I do. But the average is around 10 to 12 hours. 10 to 12 hours. If you don't have a daily time of relating to God through prayer and through reading His Word, I want to encourage you to make that change in your life. 10 to 12 hours. What if you just took 15 minutes? 15 minutes. That's not a lot. But if you don't have anything right now consistent and you started taking 15 minutes, make a world of difference in you. 15 minutes. Think about those weeds, right? If I just went outside and pulled weeds for about 15 minutes every day, you know what? We wouldn't have any weeds in the garden. 15, you know, 15 minutes adds up. Over a week's time, 15 minutes a day, it's 105 minutes. That's just over an hour, just under an hour and a half. Over a year, that's 5,480 minutes. 5,480 minutes spent prayer and reading God's Word. You're like, wow, that's a lot. 15 minutes a day. Don't grow weary. You need proper spiritual nourishment. Finally, this this is my final principle from the Scripture, that produce is meant to be shared. That thing that's growing in your life, that good that is being uh, reaped from the spiritual sowing you've been doing, it is meant to be shared. Verse 10 gives us an immediate application of this scripture and, and, and what we should want to produce from the spirit. I normally ask the question like this, now what, right? Now how do we apply this scripture, this sermon to our lives? But the apostle Paul is essentially answering this question for us, now what? Now what is this? He says do good to everyone. You stop right there for a second. We'll get the rest of verse 10. But he says first, do good to everyone. And essentially there is no disclaimer on that. He didn't say do good to everyone who's a Galatian. Galatian. He doesn't say everyone that do good to everyone that looks like you, smells like you, talks like you. He doesn't say do good to everyone who has the same skin color as you. He doesn't say do good to everyone who can do good back to you. No, he says, do good to everyone, specifically do good to everyone. No holds, no parameters, no guidelines, just do good. That's what we're supposed to be doing with the good that God produces from the good we sow in our life. When we reap good from the good that is sown, we're supposed to just share that good with everyone. Do good to everyone, no holds bar. almost. Then he goes on, he includes this statement especially to those in the household of faith. If you've never heard that phrase before, the household of faith, that is the church. That is the body of believers in Jesus Christ. And it isn't put there so that we exclude those that are not in the church. It's not like Paul is saying, do good to everyone. Whoa, 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 I mean just the people that are in the church. That's all I meant. That's not what he's saying. It is not there to exclude those not in the church, but to emphasize that we cannot even produce good spiritual fruit between us fellow believers, how can we ever possibly reach those outside of the church? This is kind of like the practice field, right? If I want to be able to do good out there, I need to be able to do good in here. You want to do good for the glory of God outside the walls of the church, praise the Lord, Come in here and do some good, too. This is the practice field for it. But we need practice. We need practice. We are in this thing together. I say that pretty often. We are in this thing together. You and I. I need you. You need me. So let's do good to one another, especially those inside the church. You know, the Lord emphasizes this in some of his final moments on earth. In John chapter 17, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to turn there. I want to read for you something that I've started praying here recently. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. This is what Jesus says. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about future believers that will believe because of the word of the disciples. Verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world, get this, may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Through our unity, through our oneness, that is a spiritual gift, that God Himself, Jesus Christ, was praying for in the last moments on earth, that we would be one. Why? Because then the whole world would know that God sent Jesus and God was in us. He emphasizes this also in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He goes on and says, if you love as I have loved you, then they will know that you are my disciples. The greatest witness we have, church, is not door-to-door evangelism. It is not sending out flyers. It is not making phone calls. The greatest evangelistic tool we have is loving each other, doing good to one another, especially those in the household of faith. Now, through the years, the reputation of the church has been damaged through infighting, through splits. But I want to give you a word of encouragement. In the four and two-thirds years that I have been your pastor, I have seen and I have known of much good this church has done towards one another. But it's behind the scenes, and so you don't really know about it. It's unspoken of. It's often anonymous, except I, I know about it because uh, folks help or ask me to help them do this thing to this person or that person. Here's what I'm talking about. I, I, I know I'm not being real clear, so let me be clear. Somebody hands me an envelope of cash, and they say, could you give this to so-and-so? No problem. Don't tell them it's from me. No problem. I know about that. You don't. I know who they are, and I know who they're helping. They're doing good to someone, and they wanted it to be anonymous. They want God to get the glory and not for them to get the glory. Financial gifts to family that are struggling, help with rides to the doctor, to the grocery store, help moving from their house to another house, and so on and so forth. Doing good to one another. And I'm thankful to be in a church that does good to one another because this is our strongest evangelistic tool, is that we, church, are being good to one another. And that we can take it outside the walls because we practice on each other and we can be good to those outside the walls. This seems really insignificant, right? Just doing good to one another. But I believe that through it, God can take something insignificant and make it into something magnificent. You let God produce this in you. Will you sow this good into your Holy Spirit in you and reap a spiritual harvest? Ultimately, though, the greatest good, the greatest good that can be sown out of your life is this that God saves you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you may be saying here this morning, I'm having a hard time, you know sowing good, I just, I always seem to want to sow evil. It may be because you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. And talking about that whole, he takes something insignificant and makes something significant, picture this, God takes my very simple faith, and it's a very simple faith because I'm a simple guy, and through my faith and through the grace of Jesus Christ, he brings salvation. Bible says, it is by grace through faith I have been saved. Something so simple, something seemingly insignificant. And through that, something magnificent happens. I have everlasting life. I have forgiveness for my sins forever and forever and forever. And if you've never experienced that this morning, we want to invite you to come forward. We're going to have a time where music is going to play. We're all going to stand and we invite you to come forward. Get to know this Lord and this Savior who does something magnificent with my something, your something insignificant. Ask yourself that question. What am I producing? What am I producing? Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for the opportunity to to talk to these folks. And, And Lord, I pray that you would use what was said. You would use your word. And Lord, you would produce something magnificent in all of our lives. I believe every single one of us, Lord, you want to do something in us and through us. Every single one of us. I know that because we're still breathing. We still have life. So Lord, would you just move in us this morning, during this time of response, this time of invitation. Thank you, Lord. And in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.